This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Morning, everyone. Customary when we do dedications to uh, talk about marriage and parenting. And actually, if you're a member, a regular member of God First, we're uh, starting a series uh, called Divine Sex, where we're sketching out a biblical vision of marriage, singleness, sex, and sexuality. Let's go to work. Father, we thank you for Arthur and Benjamin, Byron, Abigail, Meriden. We pray for the parents here. We pray for the families here. We pray that for the family of God First. We pray for ev- all of us, Lord Jesus, whether we're connected to these families or not, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning about who you are, and I pray that who you are would shape us and transform us for the future. Amen. Amen. So I want to uh, talk about three words this morning. Uh, Not I love you, which uh, might have been appropriate, but I want to talk about three words that I think are relevant to marriage and parenting. So the, the words are faithfulness, or sorry, fruitful, or fruitfulness, Faithful or faithfulness, sacrifice or sacrificial. Interesting, my, uh, my friend Mark, I, I don't know if it's out uh, in Croatia or whatever, uh, he, his daughter, uh, Thea, came to him. Uh, 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 she's four years old and she came to him with that, that classic question, uh, Daddy, where do babies come from? So I don't know if you've ever been asked that. Uh, and, um, and I think it's a good question, isn't it? You know, whereas... Where have Arthur and Benjamin and, and Byron and Abigail married and where did they come from? You know, uh, and such beautifully crafted, amazing, wonderful creatures. You know, how did they arrive in the life of Ben and Naomi, Steve and Hannah, Steve and Joe, Nat and Catherine, and, and Ben and Grace? How did that happen? And you think, well, I kind of know the answer. I, I kind of know the answer, but I think we deserve an answer this morning. Well, I think Mark's answer was brilliant. Mark says, well, mum and dad have a special cuddle. Has anybody used that before? <laughs> Mom and dad have a special cuddle. If, you, if you've got young children, you can take that one to the bank. That's free from Mark Clements. But mom and dad are going to have a special cuddle. Uh, it, and it's interesting, if, if we reflect on that special cuddle, not too much perhaps, but if we reflect on that special cuddle, the word fruitfulness probably isn't one that comes to mind. Uh, because in, in a way, the, the special cuddle is, has become a little bit of a, rec- uh, a recreational activity. It gives you a little endorphin rush, a bit like going to the gym. You know, we think, oh, this is fun, and you know, a little special cuddle is great, uh, and modern pharmacy has made it that uh, the special cuddle seems a long, long way, a long, long way from what it's designed for. But we all carry the equipment, don't we, for the special cuddle. You know, it's there with us, and it's saying, actually, that, that, that men and women, uh, uh, man and wife, husband and wife, are designed for having babies. And so it's great, we've got loads of babies here this morning, uh, and um, you know, there's been some special cuddles going on. Obviously, there's, in some families, it's the first special cuddle they've ever had, in some, it's actually the second special cuddle. But you know, it, it's great that, that, that that's been going on, and I think it's all good. It, it's all good. 
Uh, but when we, when we think about it, we, we take that for granted. We take for granted the, the amazing thing that, 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 that mom and dad can, can have children. And, and we, we think, you know, and in one sense, you know, I don't want to be too controversial, two dads can't do that. Two moms can't do that. It, 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 it's, it's a man and a woman. It's a, it's a man and a wife who, who are designed to do that. And we think, well, that's just the way things are. You know, it's the birds and the bees. But just to let you know, bees don't need. There doesn't need to be a, a, a man for birds and bees. Swarms of bees. You don't need a man. You, you don't need a male. Um, so why do we? Why do we? You probably have never thought about it. Why do we? And, and, and I think, you know, evolutionary biology's got a big question. You know, why naturally select to have males and females? Have you, have, you, have you ever thought about that? You know, I mean, what do men do? You know, what do we do? We, we, we play a very minor part in the whole process. You know, but we're standing up here as dedications, bright, smiling faces, you know. What, but what have we done? You know, I think, why, why would evolutionary biology have it that men and women are involved? What, you know, if you're talking about productive potential, why not have two women swap DNA? Then you can have two babies. You all look shocked. <laughs> but it, it's interesting, why, man, why a man and a woman? Why is that there? Now, I want to ask you this. I want to suggest that could it be that God designed and created human life to flow from the love, the deepest expression between a husband and wife? There's something going on here that's more than just babies. And the first page of the big Bible story, a humanity makes our appearance, and this is what it says. It says, God said, let us... Interesting, there's an us. I put that in, in capital letters, just if you haven't noticed it before. If you haven't read the Bible, there's an us. God is an us. Let's make humanity in our own image and likeness. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase and fill the earth. It's interesting, when, we, when, when humanity makes its appearance in the big story of God, the world, and you, the word that comes up uh, more than once is what? I've, I've given you a little clue there, you can answer. The word image appears, and in one sense, there's something going on here. And, and, and what, so what you are made, it says in the Bible, you're made in the image of God. Uh, and obviously, as you, as you put on weight and approach your 60s, you might think, no, no, I'm, I'm struggling with the idea. But actually, we're, we're made in the image of God, not like a painting or a statue that, that is an image, but, but, but what we're living because God is living. You know, the fact you're alive, the fact that, that, that babies are born, life is here, is, is because God's a living God. You know, in, in, you can go to ancient temples and see statues of God's, but the living God does not have a temple with a statue because you're it. You're living. And, and, and we're an us, just like God. A, a husband and wife in loving, one flesh, special cuddle union, like God. God doesn't have a body, but who is father and son in a loving union of the Spirit. There's an us. So when God says us, that's Father, Son, and Spirit, saying let's make humanity in our image, and what do they create? The Trinity, what do they create? They create an us. A man and woman. 
And lastly, we create it to be fruitful like God. We create it to be fruitful like God. And again, this idea probably doesn't land with you. You probably don't think of, of, of fruitfulness as a language. But, but the Bible uses lots of illustrations or images. But the Bible describes God's fruitfulness in metaphors that helps us to understand, images that helps us to understand. And if you haven't read the Bible, then let me give you, uh, let, let me give you three. The Bible talks about uh, God as light. Now, the na- very nature of light is that it shines, thank you, radiates out. It starts from a point and overflows outwards. The, uh, another picture or image is a fountain, which overflows outwards. And, uh, and a vine, which actually flows outwards in fruit. There's something about this image. Light radiates and shines out. Fountains overflow and pour out. Vines produce endless clusters of, of bursting grapes. So I thought about this and I thought, well, that makes sound something about God. God is a bright, shining, radiating, overflowing, poured out, fruitful God, bursting with love and life. Let me say that again. I don't know what you think God is like, but this is the kind of image that those, those metaphors present. God is a bright shining. Who loves the sunshine? Oh, yes, please. You know, it's winter. Bright shining, radiating, overflowing, poured out. Who loves to drink from fresh fountains? Fruitful God, bursting with love and life. Who, who loves a glass of wine or a bunch of grapes? We do that, and there's a sort of a fruitfulness about God. And interesting that, that, that actually, there's, when, God, when God talks about his son, the, the, the New Testament puts it like this, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Now glory is the shorthand for bright, shining, fruitful, overflowing, life-giving goodness and love. So let's read that. The sun is the radiance of God's bright, shining, fruitful, overflowing, life-giving goodness and love. The exact representation of his being. So when, when the, fa- the Father's forever been flowing out into this other one who's called his Son, forever pouring himself by the Spirit out to this other one called his Son. So it's almost inevitable, if God's forever been overflowing, it's almost inevitable that he would create humanity, that his love wants to overflow. His love wants to overflow. Uh, hands up here, I know it's not, hands up if you've got two kids. If you're a parent here, you've got two kids. Three kids. Four kids? Great, brilliant. I mean, my, uh, my wife's uh, hus- uh, father comes from, how many, ten? Ten. I mean, there's something, and, and I don't suppose if you've got four kids, you think, oh, that's it. I didn't, I've, I've got to divide my love up. I've got enough for one. Ooh, I, I, when you get two, you don't think, right, okay, I, I've got to, they'll get half each. You know, when there's three, we'll give them a third of the love. When there's four, because actually love constantly grows and overflows. And God's like that. He, he loves his son and the son loves his father, but, but he constantly overflows and he wants to overflow in love to you. He wants to overflow in love to me. So when God creates Adam... Adam's name means humanity, and Eve, which means the mother of all living, God cannot overflow and bless them. It says, God made man and woman, he said, and God blessed them. That just means God wants to overflow to them and bless them. You know, it's a a misconception that God wants to punish humanity. I don't know what idea of God you've got in your head, but actually, God wants to overflow 
to us. And guess what? When a husband and wife have that special cuddle, it overflows. Arthur, Benjamin, Byron, Abigail, Meriden, all are here created in God's image because God is a God who overflows. He wants to give his love away. And that's what parenting is all about. So when God joins a man and woman together, he blesses them and says, be fruitful and fill the earth. Be fruitful and fill the earth. And actually the earth is full. I reckon, somebody told me there's, there's been, uh, there's eight, nearly 7.7 billion people, uh, people on the planet and about the same number as ever lived. So living at the moment is about half, I don't know if it's true, I'm getting some nods. That's about half the human race is alive today that's ever lived. But, but, but humanity has overflowed and overflowed. And you'd expect that humanity to overflow, it's made in God's image, to overflow in love and goodness. But something has gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. Malachi in the Old Testament says this, Did not God make a man and wife or husband and wife one? So what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. God wants little kids, you and me, to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. He wants to have the characters, characteristics of God. But actually, it's hard to produce that. I don't know if you idolise your kids. There is a temptation to idolise our kids. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, don't be delighted, don't love them, don't kind of be pleased about them. But, but actually there's a temptation to, to idolise our kids so we, we enforce the idea that the world is all about them. You know, so that it's all about m- me. So, you know, the kids going around through the supermarket, I've had kids as well, going through the supermarket demanding chocolate bars, demanding this, demanding that, you know, that's, it's like, and it's like we, don't, we find it really difficult to say no. But, but all the time we're doing that, we're teaching our kids that actually the world is, is about fl- everything flowing into them. But actually we know that God's nature is about everything flowing out of him. And so we create these kids where we, we wrap them in cotton wool and round-the-clock gratification, afraid to establish boundaries and saying no. So instead of our kids singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine we find that we raise screaming, me first, insatiably unsatisfied, ungrateful little black holes. And that's just mine. <laughs> it's like, now there's an element where kids, when they're young, they have to cry and you've got to feed them. But ultimately, the reality is we want to, the, 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 the nature of parenting, this is what you need to do if you're dedicating your kids, is you're saying, I want to bring them up to overflow with love and grace like God. Not to be a black hole saying, me, 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 me. So humanity's filled the earth, and the reality is we've not filled the earth with overflowingly good and gentle people. Right in the, in the sixth chapter of the Bible, so there's a lots of chapters in the Bible, so five or six pages in, it just says the world is full of violence and destruction. You know, it's Houston, we have a problem, something's gone wrong with the world. You know, so that we look at, you know, what's gone wrong with the world? We're supposed to bring up our children in as loving and overflowing and good. But we get the horror stories of broken environments and famine. We've got broken relationships and wars, broken families, broken lives. 
Something's gone wrong. Which leads me to my second point, faithfulness. That was a quicker one, that one. So if you think, oh my word, he's got three like that. (laughs) We'll go quicker now. I found this passage in the Bible when I was a teenager and I thought, wow, it's so challenging. It's almost got uh, Hosea, the prophet, describes the world that he lives in and I think it's very appropriate for the world we live in. It says, there is no faithfulness, no love. No acknowledgement of God in the land. They throw off all boundaries. There's only abuse and lying, murder, stealing, adultery and Brexit. (laughs) And it's interesting, I wouldn't have put lack of faithfulness in that list. I wouldn't, alongside a murderer... I wouldn't, and stealing, I wouldn't have put a lack of faithfulness in that list. But actually, there's something about faithfulness that actually is really countercultural to us. Because our consumer society and every advert you see on TV teaches, that, teaches us that choice is all. We see freedom as the ability to keep our options open and to trade up to a better model when one is available. And that's fine if it's an iPhone. Well, actually, who wants to upgrade to the X? Has anyone got the X, iPhone X? It's a lot of money for not much else, isn't it? I mean, they're struggling out there to tempt us to upgrade. I'm still on 7. I thought, man, 7, I'm stopping at 7. You know, but, but there's a temptation in the more. You want more, you want more, you want more. There's a temptation to trade in an upgrade. And you've got these old phones kicking around that you can sell for 35 quid. And you thought, man, it's, I thought it was worth 600 quid. There's a temptation to trade up to a better model. But our consumer choice doesn't roll really well into relationships because faithful commitment, the determined choice of one thing, closes down our ability to choose someone else. And the thing is, there's no faithfulness because when we, when we make a bad relational choice, we always feel we can cut and run and start again. Maybe we, we lack faithfulness in society because, because we've ex- many of us have experienced what happens when a commitment is broken. We struggle to commit because we've been let down. We've put our trust in parents or friends or family and we struggle to do that and commitment's been broken. And we think, I can't trust anymore. So what happens is unfaithfulness gives birth to unfaithfulness. And we might like, like it doesn't matter and it's the old 21st century... But when unfaithfulness moves into your house and trashes your marriage and blows apart your kids, nobody is pretending that faithfulness is not a big deal. We all know it is. And you might have been impacted by that. Faithfulness is a big deal. Faithfulness is a big deal not because we find our identity in animal behaviour, but we find our identity in God. God who is unendingly faithful. The God who encouraged us to call him Father is deeply committed, unendingly faithful to you and me. God doesn't flip-flop or change his mind. He doesn't decide uh, to up and leave or trade us up for a better model. He's decided he loves people, he loves people, and he's not changing his mind on that. When Moses in the Old Testament asks God his name, he says, The Lord I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding, overflowing, bursting in love and faithfulness. The Bible frames these words almost to a husband and wife. And the problem with unfaithfulness is what? 
Not God, but it's us. The problem is we've been unfaithful to him. The suggestion is right at the very beginning, we've left Jesus at the altar and said, I'm not interested in you. Paul puts this in Corinthians, says, you were promised to one husband, to Jesus Christ. So I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid just as Eve, the mother of all living, was seduced by the deceiver's cunning, your minds have been led astray from your sincere devotion to Jesus. Almost right as the big Bible narrative gets going, we've, we decide instead of we're going to give ourselves to God and be faithful to God, we decide we're going to give ourselves to everything else. We've, we decide to abandon Jesus in some twisted notion of uh, freedom and self-fulfillment. We find ourselves so not fulfilled, but endlessly empty. Not free to choose, but slave to every fickle desire. In our foolishness, we have attempted to trade up from the bright, shining, fruitful, overflowing, life-giving goodness in God. We try to trade up, but we find there's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land, no boundaries, only abuse and lying and murder and stealing and adultery. The world is crying out for faithfulness. Our children want faithfulness. Our marriages need faithfulness. Our relationships need faithfulness. But the Bible says our unfaithfulness does not cancel out God's faithfulness. My friend Matthew Hosey writes this, God's faithfulness is the antidote to our consumerism. It's the antidote to our struggle to commit. We have to believe that the power of God's faithfulness at work in us will enable us to live faithfully, even if all our human examples have failed. I'm confident that all the families that we're dedicating, all the children we're thanking God for, all the families that we're dedicating today, if they rest in the faithfulness of God, that faithfulness will sustain them. It will make them fruitful. And it will overflow. It will overflow from parents to children, from families to neighbours, from neighbours to this town. But faithfulness requires sacrifice. We'll finish almost here. Let me just ask you this question. Children are often seen as a burden. One reason people have fewer babies or start family life later is because having children is is seen as stopping adults like ours doing the things that adults like to do, like building our careers or going on great holidays or going out on the weekends or having a lie-in at all, ever. We think kids just get in the way. And we think, I'm not, I'm not prepared to sacrifice that. I'm not prepared to sacrifice my stuff because actually somewhere along the line we were taught it's all about me and I'm this black hole that needs to be filled with my satisfying stuff. We can see marriage as a burden. One reason fewer and fewer people are getting married because it stops adults doing the things that adults like to do, like building their careers. And doing whatever they want without reference to anyone else. A rom-com or Sky Sports? Well, if you're married, it's an easy decision, isn't it? <laughs> or if she's at musician's practice, you can watch the Europa League. You know, but there's this compromise required in marriage. There's sacrifice that's required in marriage. And sacrifice is required to keep you faithful. And faithful is required to keep you fruitful. And if you want to be fruitful and overflowing, then you need to learn to sacrifice. 
Valentine's chocolates and flowers are very thoughtful. Hands up if did, anybody did that. No, I, I could ask it the other. Who did Valentine's chocolates and flowers for their, for their partner? One or two. I mean, you think the way at Morrison's, you think nobody's eating anything for weeks but flowers and chocolates. <laughs> and I think it's good. And, uh, you know, I've agreed with Naomi. I, I don't know whether she's agreed. She said, could you get me some dafts? I said, I got you some dafts last week. Come on, girl. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> I'm not doing well. You can pray for Naomi afterwards. Flowers and chocolates, although they're very thoughtful, are not the very heart of love. Self-giving sacrifice is. We're landing here. Paul, that's why Paul writes in a phrase that often read at, read at weddings, husbands or husband, love your wife as Christ Jesus loved the church. Read the last bit. Christ Jesus loved the church and? Sacrifice, because he's faithful because he wants you to overflow in goodness. How did Jesus respond to our unfaithfulness? How did Jesus bring, out, bring us out of our empty unfruitfulness to fullness and fruitfulness? He poured himself act, out in an act of self-giving love. That's why Christians wear crosses. Because actually, that act of self-giving love that ultimate act of self-sacrifice, that laying down his life for you is the source for you to be a great parent, is the source for you to be a great husband or wife, is the source for you to be a great neighbour and colleague. Because it reverses the flow of the black hole living and turns you into one who is prepared to give yourself away. Let's pick up those little metaphors at the end here. It says, the light of life. Dying in the darkness. Jesus is stretched out on the cross and it goes dark. And it's almost like the question he's been raised, will his light be extinguished? Jesus, the fountain of living water, the fountain of life, he's on the cross and he's thirsty, gasping for breath. The fruitful vine is cut off from life. Is that the end of the story? No. Jesus rose from the dead. The light was impossible to extinguish. The fountain of life that cannot be quenched. The fruitful vine now producing much fruit. If you want to be a good parent, have good marriage, live a fruitful life of self-giving love, come to the faithful one. Father, we thank you that you're the fruitful God that you've made these families fruitful. We thank you for the babies. We thank you for the families, the grandparents, the friends. Lord, we thank you that we celebrate your fruitfulness. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of our unfaithfulness, you are always faithful. And Lord, I thank you that you're willing to pay the price to bring us to yourself. Help us to live lives of self-giving love. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.